Hey, what's up? How about this, listeners? It's Mike Staub back again for another episode of the Summer of Slam. And on today's episode, we are talking about one of the most legendary games of all time. One of the most important tabletop games of all time. I believe that someone even says that it is the single greatest tabletop game of all time. Now that is up for argument, so maybe we'll have to battle it out in the squared circle. But today, Jordan and I talk about Magic the Gathering, so let's get ready to slam. And now, introducing the How About This Summer of Slam! What's up, how about this, listeners? We are back, and it is yet another episode of the Summer of Slam. Summer of Slam. <laughs> and it's been a crazy and wacky summer so far. We've had some some fun over the last few episodes and over the last few weeks, but we are back we with have. another game that's going to hit the table. It's going to hit the table hard. <laughs> and we're going to tap out, and we're going to alpha strike. Wow. And we're going to burn... And we're going to sacrifice and we're going to spot remove or do whatever you do. Because today we're talking about the legendary trading card game used to be called collectible card. Or is it now called collectible card game? I forget if it's a CCG or a TCG these days. I think CCG. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is CCG now. I think it used to be trading card game. And now they changed it to collectible card game because they realize people don't trade. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Listeners, you could tell us. Yeah, let us know in the comments. Tell us how wrong we are. But today we're talking about the legendary trading card or collectible card game Magic the Gathering, which is one of my favorite avenues of competition because guys like me aren't athletic. We're not sports people. We don't go out and play sports. You know, we don't go we don't go play basketball or baseball or football or anything like that. You know, we have to find other ways to compete and the ways we find the ways we learn how to compete or the ways that we had learned over the years was either through video games and couch, couch player, couch multiplayer, or these amazing trading card games or collectible card games that we've been playing for, I don't know, 30 years almost at this point. So it's one of those things where this is where we got to get the competitive itch because everyone's got it. Everyone's got the competitive itch in them. Oh, yeah. It just matters when it comes out. And nothing nothing feels better than just pounding someone into submission in a Magic the Gathering game. Absolutely. If if this is your first time listening to the How About This podcast, how fortunate you are to join us uh, for an episode uh, of a game that is, uh, in my opinion, the best tabletop game. I'm actually going to give it that distinction, but I want to introduce my co-host, Mike Staub, the red-green swashbuckling pirate captain of Ixalan himself. Oh, Mike boy. Staub. Yeah, wow. and a red green pirate as well. Look at red, that. That's very. It's a very rare pirate to be a it's red a, green pirate. Ra- yeah, that's right. A rare combination. And, and then uh, yeah. I have to introduce the head of the Is It League. Wow, just, 
Just he just I just read this up and he just took over Niv Mizzet yes. and sent him to uh, a spot between the planes, the head of the Izzet League, the explosive planeswalker himself, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Oh, thank you, sir. Do you know I was just working on a red blue deck this morning, so I'm actually very flattered that in your mind I'm the designate is it player in our friend group. I think I think the reason why is because when we were growing up and playing Magic as kids, you always had the ultimate red deck. But <laughs> but you were always also the guy when we were kids. This is before I really got into playing red. And but as we gotten older, you've definitely gotten more into the chaos and the the chaos magic of it all. And and there's blue in there. There's red and blue in there. And, you know, maybe sometimes if you feel it a little, a little on the more Slytherin side, there's a little black mana in there. Um, but, you it's know, I, think I very, it, very rarely play white and green. No, very rarely because they're so dumb. That's why. no, no, no. I, I, I nothing but love, nothing but love. I just my my personality does not lend itself to those colors. It seems I totally get that. And, you know, uh, for those of you who are unaware of Magic the Gathering. If you're unaware of Magic the Gathering, stop listening because you'll really hate this episode. Yeah, this episode's got nothing for you, but Magic the Gathering is a legendary card game that has been around for almost 30 years. I believe the first set started coming out in like 1993. Yeah. And for guys like us that have been playing Magic since probably about 97, maybe 98, it's starting to feel, it, it makes us feel old, but like it also is nice to see that it's got this wonderful legacy. Yeah. So, you know, we always like to talk about our experiences with a certain franchise or certain property. So I'd love to pass it on to you, Gordon. So where did where, you get started with Magic? So listeners should should know by now, if you've listened to us before, Mike and I actually grew up in the same town uh, on Long Island. That we um, did. And uh, therefore, we actually visited the same comic book store and the same trading card store. So my first encounter with Magic the Gathering was at Golden Memories Comics, which is no longer with us. Uh, <laughs> it has, oh, that's a shame. It has moved beyond the veil. But I was first caught by the booster pack artwork for Ice Age, uh, which is the first set that I bought into, which I guess would have made this 1995. So I was nine. And I was just like, wow, this looks really cool. What is this? And the very unfriendly man behind the counter was just like, it's a card game. It's a card game you probably wouldn't like because it's for older kids. Or he said something equally obnoxious while he was watching porn behind the counter, which is absolutely what he was doing. Every single time. So I would buy some comics because I was already, you know, as we've discussed in prior shows, pretty into comics by that point. But I was just like, I'm going to buy a couple of these uh, card packs. So I started buying Magic, and the first couple sets I bought were all Ice Age, or I think 5th Edition had just come out or was just coming out. And uh, that was that was where I was getting my start, uh, was right on that cusp of Ice Age 5th Edition Mirage. That was like when I came into the game. But I didn't know how to play. I was buying it because the artwork was so good, and the art on the cards was like inspiring my little 9-year-old, 10-year-old creative brain to like write stories about the characters and the creatures that I saw on the cards. And I just thought it was awesome. And then my friend Dave, who was like my best like early childhood friend, we like read the rule book together one day and like tried to figure out how to play because we didn't even have like an older kid friend to teach us. And we like slowly figured it out. And then both of us got like kind of into it. We're like, oh, this is good. And then by the time I got to middle school, other people played and it was it was very, very popular. So that's that's when I got started. And that is sort of how I got started. But I didn't have a play group like people actually playing with me until middle school. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, mine's a little my story's a little different than yours. I think that works. That works all perfectly. Right. That's just such a, a nice addition to it. And I think a lot of us got our start with uh, some degree of going to comic book shops 
and and whatnot because that's where these cards were typically sold we really didn't have yeah. game stores right at that point in time and everything you would pretty much buy in a comic book shop i remember my first experience with magic the gathering was i got a starter deck i got a green starter deck i feel like it was fifth edition it might have been sixth edition um, the sixth edition might have been a little too late, but there was a a store by my house that was a framing store. It was a store you would go to get like pictures framed or whatever. And you know, when I didn't go to Gold Memories, this store in the front of the store had like a a, a kiosk and it had a counter. And this counter was for baseball cards and and stuff like Magic the Gathering and Spider Man cards. So I used to buy, you know, my first experience with cards is I did have some baseball cards growing up, but I used to buy a lot of a lot of like. X-Men cards, Marvel cards, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Spider-Man cards. I had all these sets, but I remember going in there and seeing Magic Gathering and you'd see the, the big posters in the window. You would see the stuff like on the counter and just being very interested. So I remember getting the uh, starter deck and I believe it was a green starter deck and I had no idea. I had no idea what this was about. I looked at it and, you know, I saw the land cards and I saw all these cards and I was, this was probably about 1996 or maybe 1997 at this point in time. It could have been a core. It could have been a set. Like it might not have been an addition. I don't know. I don't remember the, the way stuff was kind of released as well as you do, because I don't have as much experience with early, early magic, but I really got into magic, the gathering in middle school when I had met Jordan and Jordan and I, and a bunch of guys that we went to middle school with started playing and we would play like at lunch or we would play before the school day would start. <laughs> yeah. So that's, or during class if our teacher was real bad. If our teacher was really bad or if we had a study hall. Yeah. So I remember just really getting into magic then and even more so in the last, I want to say 10 years, 12 years, maybe 15 now that we've kind of gotten back into magic. And it's been something that's kind of been part of our our rhythm now it's been part of our like gamer rhythm and we've kind of moved on from playing your standard regular magic and your standard regular magic tournaments and guys like jordan and i have really invested our time and money into a very specific type of magic the gathering called commander or as we used to call it elder dragon highlander and this is a very specific variant of playing magic but it's great for people who have a big collection from of old cards and it's a really great group setting game. So that's kind of where we're playing magic today. I don't think either of us are looking to play like your standard competitive magic anymore, but no, I, I mean, we were, we were for a while, for a few years, we were going to tournaments and, and doing that stuff and traveling, trying to play the game on the road that those days are done as we would say, uh, but that was a, a good time. It is now, it just costs too much to stay relevant in the standard scene because magic is, as you know, uh, an expensive hobby. You know, the, the cards only stay relevant for a certain amount of time and you have to get really, really good. And I, I don't have it in me to be sort of a competitive player. Even like the, the the best player in our friend group who probably could have made it as a pro, Brian. Yeah. You know, even he will say like, yeah, standard, it's just, it's too much to keep up with it. For guys like us that have like regular jobs and families, you know, it's... It's, it's too much to maintain for a hobby. So Commander allows you to play basically your entire collection and have fun with your friends and just do weird shit with the game, which is exactly what we want. So basically we do that. And then we do what, in my opinion, is the purest form in the game. We draft it, draft. try it out of the packs. Draft is awesome. Draft is probably my favorite method to play magic these days where for those of you online who don't know you pop open a pack of cards you take a card you pass the pack over and you're building a deck based off of the cards that you draft as you go through each each pack and usually do it with six or eight people and yeah. you get a nice big uh, pile of cards and you put a deck together and you play you play 
in like a tournament setting. So it's a really great way to play magic. But magic the gathering is a game that's about, it's a fantasy based game where it's kind of its own weird style of fantasy. It's got machines and it's got artifacts, but it's also got elves and dwarves and wizards and, and all that jazz. And what's great about magic is that it, it starts with the core, the core being of the five different types of mana. And that's where each color in magic represents a certain aspect as well as the way its cards play. So the five types of mana are white, green, red, black, and blue. White represents uh, order and usually like law. Red represents chaos and fire, right? Blue represents the sea and the air and intelligence and education. Black represents self-interest and and uh, stuff coming back from the dead and demons and, and shit yeah. and demons and stuff yeah and then green represents the earth and the natural state of order of things so you can mix and match your magic cards based on their colors and some colors work better with others based on the philosophy that follows the color so there is actually also a philosophy behind magic the gathering which is actually more in depth that people uh, always people would actually realize uh, looking at it on a surface level and also the five colors kind of also represent they're almost like a zodiac they almost like represent sure uh, character types they're almost like a better psychological test than you know pretty much anything you know you have certain players that are drawn to certain colors because of what they represent for example like i said before jordan is i i consider jordan like a blue red player because there's you know there's that that big massive you know knowledge and information that draws you in but then you you do like a little bit of that red chaos to mix with it so it's kind of like a like one of those things so it's it's different players are drawn to the game for different reasons as well you have your technical players that really love the the inner workings of the game don't care about theme at all those are but they're like your hardcore players those are like what they call the johnny archetype which is a, oh no spike right no yes spike. johnny combo johnny combo johnny combo, the, johnny uh, combo. The, typically the blue player yeah you know. so spike is the guy who plays hardcore play anything just really loves the inner workings of the game understands but wants to win johnny is the guy who's gonna come up with with good combos come up with all these crazy ideas to mix and match together to make it work and that's the johnny of the group and then you have the timmy who we're all a little timmy i think sometimes but timmy likes big stuff big fun wacky stuff to play so those are really like the archetypes of magic and magic actually keeps going back to that when they come up with new sets of like, all right, well, we're going to need something for the Tommies. We need the uh, Timmies. We need something for the Johnnies and we need something for the spikes. But in the end, it comes down to the colors of the, of the, of the mana that you're using. So Jordan, do you have a favorite mana color that if you were to be like, mm, this is my favorite of the, of the group. So it is blue. Uh, I'm kind of hesitant to say it's blue just because there is, as Mike has mentioned, there is a certain stigma uh, to saying that blue is your favorite color because blue players are often thought of as, you know, sort of these pretentious folks who think the other colors are garbage and, you know, have this like air of superiority about them. Uh, and that's that's not the kind of blue I'm interested in. I, I, I mean to say I just I like blue because I think the blue cards are, are fun. I like being a more reactive player when possible. And my specific color combination of blue red is because the blue-red cards just do interesting things. They tend to do things like, these are like the sub-themes in blue-red. There's like a lot of artifice going on, um, contraptions. There's um, uh, the ability to copy uh, spells and abilities and things like that. And also, 
I grew up on red. That was my first color. And I still love just burning shit. Just doing direct damage, I think, is so much fun. There is nothing so fun as when, like, a little kid, uh, you know, plays, like, his little elephant man 3-3 in front of you. And you're just like, yeah, lightning bolt, get rid of it. Get that the fuck out of here, you know? And, and now playing Commander, you need to be the standby guy with those counter spells because there's stuff that will just wreck the game. And if you're not managing things a bit, um, things can really go haywire. Mike, what are your colors or color combinations? You know, I started, like I said before, I started with green and I was, you know, a green player for a while because I like big stuff that punches things. Like, it's really simple. I play really dumb stuff in Magic. Mm-hmm. In most games, I play the stupid... This, I don't want to say stupid, but I play more of the, uh, I'm an aggro player, aggro player. Totally. I, I, I'm not really big on stand and control. I'm not really big on waiting. I'm, I'm an ag- aggressive personality when it comes to the game board. And, uh, because of that over time, you know, as a kid, I learned green cause green's like the easiest color to learn, uh, for a kid. Cause it's just, you play a bunch of creatures and they, they, they punch stuff. Yep. I tried, I tried to dabble in white for a little while, but it just, it wasn't working. You know, uh, I think it, the problem with white and magic is the problem with is the problem with the color in general is that white does everything kind of not so great. So as I got a little older, I realized, no, I am. I'm just going to go full on full tilt, you know, roller coaster aggro. And I'm just going to play a lot of red. And I think as I've grown up, I realized that I am a red player. I love nothing more than having, you know, a field with like 15 goblins in front of me that will all blow up and destroy things and punish people for playing pretty much just about anything because I'll torch it. And then the green stuff, I like what I like about playing gruel or red green is that green can back it up when red fizzles out. So you could start throwing out your monsters and stuff like that, your dinosaurs or whatever. I play magic like a child plays with his action figures. <laughs> That's um, great. So I want to hit people with dinosaurs and goblins and blow stuff up and hit stuff with missiles. It's very much like the Mario Kart philosophy of, of Magic the Gathering. It's like, just throw as much stuff at your enemy until they can't, right. it's like they can't deal with it anymore. So that's what's also the beauty of Magic and how the colors interact with each other um, against each other, right? Yeah. So it's like you're playing a, a, a playing a big green creature. And like you said, well, everything dies to lightning. So it's it's a very interesting way to do it. And it's it's a great game because of that. And because it's limited to the color wheel that they've created here, it leads for more... intelligent and interesting ways that people have designed the colors and designed the cards to work with each other and also it's so much fun once you start getting into multicolor stuff and it's just it's a beautiful game it really is yeah absolutely and for all the reasons you mentioned because it has those governing philosophies because the colors have identity people are able to image craft they are able to say well what do I like about playing this game? And you basically will always build a deck that is a reflection of yourself. That's actually one of the best things about Commander because Commander is a 100-card singleton deck. You're always choosing 100 individual cards that you feel represents you and your play style. And because Magic has been around for, as you said, almost 30 years, there are many ways to do things. So there might be, you know infinite ways to destroy target creature, but you're going to do it in the way that you enjoy doing it. Um, and it might not even be the most efficient way. It's going to be the way that is most pleasing to you. And I think Magic does a really nice job with sort of evoking the image of the player. And yeah. they've really, they, they know this. 
you know, and, and the game itself is you are ostensibly two wizards having this duel. So of course the, the spells that are in your spell book are going to first and foremost reflect who you are. So I think you're right, Mike, when you said this is like a Zodiac, it is very much, you know, I, we will leave a place and I'll be like, oh, black players, you know, or oh, white players or oh, red players. And there's, there's something about each one of those colors that kind of says something about them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's kind of how we broke down the Mario Kart, uh, the Mario Kart, uh, Oh, yeah. Personalities based on the players. You know, it's not sure. that much different, you know. So in the end, I think we're all drawn to the colors of magic that really represent who we are as people. So they actually show more of of our personality and allow us to really, like you said, image craft. And what's really cool about it, too, is that you could have two blue players next to each other and both of them play blue incredibly differently because it's what blue as a as a as a color and as a mana source means to them versus what it means to someone else. So sure. it's very interesting of how, how you can even do that. It's kind of like, you know, everyone's got their own way of playing magic, their own style of building, their own like draws to the game. And magic over the years has clearly gotten a lot right. A lot right. I mean, some of these sets are, they always have a little, they, every now and again, they'll have a set like uh, Strixhaven, which will be like, which is one of the more recent sets, which is like, eh, it feels like a dip in terms of quality, but they're also trying yeah. to, manage a power scale they're trying to manage power creep they're trying to make sure the game is still competitive and that you know cards don't get too expensive in the standard cycle and but they've done they've done an incredible job because it is at this point it's the most long-lived collectible card game by a considerable amount it is still fun it still feels fresh and it still has this huge huge community of players and it it's gotten itself online. Yeah, it's evolving with the times. It's kind of not really made a wrong move, and when it has, it's course corrected quite well. So I actually foresee that Magic will be with us for a while. Absolutely, because they just know how to evolve with the times. They know how to be representative yeah. of other games, um, and they've got like, for example, the next set coming out. When I saw they were doing a Dungeons and Dragons set, because Wizards of the Coast, the company that owns Magic, also now owns Dungeons and Dragons, I was like. Mm. How's that going to work? And then they started showing the cards. I'm like, oh, no, you really got yeah, it. Yeah, it looks yeah, great. You the, nailed the, it. Yeah, the set coming up, which is uh, the Dungeons & Dragons set. What are they calling it? It's the um, Adventures into the Forgotten Realm, something yep, like that? Yep, yep, something along I, the lines of Forgotten yeah, Realms. Yeah, I think I just messed up the set name, but that's okay. You know what I'm talking about. It, it looks like it could be their best set in years. And this marriage of D&D &D and, and Magic has always been a flirtation. And now finally bringing it together is just so, so smart. And of course, for a few years now, we've actually had Magic planes. The lore of Magic has been going into D&D. They came up with a Ravnica set. There was a Theros adventure book. Uh, and, you know, some of those aren't great, but it's it's cool to see the crossover. No, it's definitely cool to see the crossover. And it's like they finally put the ring on it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like mm -hmm. they married these two together. And I feel like this is going to be the best the best marriage of D&D &D and Magic the Gathering. Because looking at the spoilers for these cards, you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. this set's going to be awesome. And they have both borrowed so much from each other over the years. Like, it just kind of makes sense to just kind of make one into the other and kind of make it the same thing. I do think... It works a little better porting D&D &D into Magic than the yeah. other way around, at least so far, unless uh, at least until we get like some amazing writer who like really turns it upside down in D&D. &D, but um, uh, that's just my opinion for right now. But I, I'm I'm happy with both. And I, I have happily played in Ravnica. Mike, you were in my Ravnica campaign. I was. I was. Um, and I think that's a cool world to explore. I just, you know, there, there are some story beats kind of missing in these books that they released, but that's OK. So just before we get into the pitches. Yeah. Couple of, a couple of rapid-fire questions. Oh, please. Let's do it. Favorite magic set? Wow. That's a really hard rapid-fire. So Sorry. Can, I, can I choose a block? Sure. Block is fine. 
it's the Urza block, Urza Saga, Urza's Legacy, and Urza's Destiny. That was like the height of my uh, playing Magic as a young person. So we were probably in seventh, eighth grade when those sets were dropping. Yeah, they were the most powerful cards that had ever been released in Magic, other than the stuff that was printed in Alpha Beta unlimited it was just like you really felt like you were playing through the grand age of magic which is what they wanted it to feel like the age of urza the age of the first planeswalker like wow these spells are potent as fuck and it was just really cool you felt powerful playing that game flavor wise as you know and i think your answers might be similar i i love Eldraine. i love fairy tales and folklore and i love that they embrace that and the new art style was so cool on those card borders finally uh innistrad i i love the horror set i wish they would do more with it we've actually we have returned to innistrad before i'm sure we will again and i uh those are probably my favorite sets just on lore and then the, the runner-up for me or honorable mention would be Lorwyn. Yeah. That, that represented the height of our college magic playing years. And I also just thought that was a really good set. And actually, when I'm building a new deck, especially a commander deck, I'll always think like, oh, what Lorwyn card can I kind of throw in here, you know? Like you, I, I actually, if you were to ask me, if gun to my head, favorite block, I actually might say Lorwyn Shadowmore mm-hmm. because that was so much fun. I love the tribes. I'm a big fan of the fairy tale stuff. I really would have loved to have seen Lorwyn somehow cross over with Eldraine. I think that would have Ooh, been yeah. beautiful. Just like put all the fairy tales in one place. That could place. still happen for sure. Totally could. Yeah. I would also love to see, especially when you have like the standard block of that. Uh, yeah. I would, I also like you loved Eldraine. I thought Eldraine was one of the coolest new sets. It kind of got me back into loving new magic cards. Yeah. And Innistrad. Uh, Innistrad, uh, it's, it's, it's vampires and werewolves, man. You can't, it's the Castlevania set. You can't do, can't go yeah. wrong. And they did it so well. And the so art well. style, the art direction was so cool. And the mechanics were just great. Innistrad so is cool. really awesome. Yeah. That's an, that's another set that I could, I would love to see cross over with Eldraine. Just like full on, just horror slash totally Arthur happen. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we'll see some like Forgotten Realms in Innistrad might be unbelievably good. So we I will like almost like certainly get a Curse of Strahd set, which will be like the Innistrad Dungeons and Dragons set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really, really magical stuff. And before we get into pitch, one more rapid fire question. Please. W- what's your favorite tribe? I think it's the fairies, which I can't believe I'm saying because I haven't really built a fairy deck in a long time. But I, I love the way the fairies are articulated in magic. Yeah. I think they express themselves so well in the game because they are all about fucking up your shit and being mischievous, mischievous in a very clever way. Not in necessarily a chaotic way, but like they're very deliberate. They plan. They're wicked and sort of bitter about yep. things. And they do often conspire with each other. Like they, it's like I counter your spell, but also this fairy moves like or I create a fairy or I do something. It, they, they actually kind of seem overwhelming after a while, which is exactly the experience of like, oh, man, I, I walked into the wrong part of the woods. This is a bad time. You, yeah. It's going to be a bad time for you and everyone involved. And yeah. They- so I, I guess fairies, which is funny because in my pitch upcoming, I don't even have fairies in that world. But um, oh, I, I think the fairies are awesome. And every time they appear in a set, I'm always very interested in what they're doing. Yeah, no, they're they're great. And you've always played them very well. So, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, because, you know, I think I think that's part of it. Right. You have to understand what the tribe does and why they yeah. do the things that they do. Right. Though I do get kind of bogged down with themes sometimes. Like, I will play a fairy card even if there's a better generic card, but that's okay. That's, what is, that's uh, more than okay. Your favorite tribe or tribes? Well, you are a Lorthos. Is that correct? Is that what they call you? The uh, Lorthos the, the Freshmaker? No, the big no. octopus? Ortho, Vorth, Voros. 
Oh, a vorth, a vorthos. Yeah, lore vorthos. guy. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are a vorthos. So that's the lore. Uh, no, not I vorthos, am. the fresh maker. Um, me, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm. I've already said it. I'm a goblin guy. Yo, what? You're them. kidding. I love them. I, I, every time there's a new goblin, even if it stinks, I get very <laughs> excited, and I just think yes. about how I'm going to throw it at someone to blow it up. So, but Mike, I have to throw it to you. Your second favorite tribe is also very fun because you love dinosaurs. That's right, baby. And they, the Tarasque, <laughs> and the Tarasque or whatever it's called, is going to be a dinosaur. And yeah, I'm I love so that they excited. made the Tarasque a dinosaur. So I cool. love it. Yeah, but I love dinosaurs. Like, mm-hmm. if I, I just got to make a deck that combines the two. It's just goblins riding dinosaurs. I think that would probably be the best thing ever. Oh yeah. The, I the, the fact that they put full on dinosaurs like in magic a lot just makes me so happy because they're stupid and I love them. Yeah, uh, I do like I do like the dinos a lot. And that's yeah. probably my best commander deck is actually probably my dinosaur deck. I don't think it's lost. So oh, it's... yeah, no, I, I have a rapid fire question for you. Yeah, what's up that I, I will answer uh, also answer. What are a couple of your favorite magic cards? Not your favorite because that would be too hard, but just a few cards you really enjoy for whatever reason. Lightning bolt. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Siege Gang Commander for both lore and uh, function. Yeah, and the art. Yeah, and the and the art. All of the art for the Siege Gang Commander is usually always good. I really, really love Goblin Pile Driver. I think that's just amazing oh God, art, yeah. amazing card, just nasty card, You're just ripping yeah. that guy's head off. And ultimately, I love my commanders. Like I really love my commanders. But the favorite of my commanders is in two colors. I don't typically play, which okay. is blue and black. But Yuriko, the uh, Tiger Shadow, is uh, an amazing card. And I love playing that because I also, yes, I love my dinosaurs. I love my goblins, but I also love my ninjas. Hell so yeah. I, I love Yuriko. I think that's a fun deck to play. It's a screw everyone over type of deck at the same time, but it's not an aristocrats deck, so it's not so bad. But yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Those are like in my favorite cards. The Lightning Bolt, Siege Gang Commander, Goblin Pile Driver, Yuriko. I just love that stuff. What about you? Oh, Vampire Nighthawk is great, but that's just a great card. But what about you? It is. There's a card from Urza Saga called Show and Tell which I, I adore because I think it's just it creates such a random element in the game where players are just throwing permanents onto the board. And then they made the more permanent version of that when they printed uh, the blue blue braids, yes. as she is known. Uh, so I like her a lot as well because I enjoy that mechanic. Also, the art on the original show and tell is just so fun and beautiful. Other cards I really enjoy, there are so many. Well, I as you know, I really dig fairies and my other like favorite like sub tribe which is like a terrible deck are the scarecrows oh yeah yeah therefore there's a card I think it's either Lorwyn or Shadowmore. You'll be you'll, you'll know, or it might be one of the the offspring sets like Eventide or, or Morning Tide. I can't quite remember. But Puppeteer Click, Puppeteer Click is art of like a bunch of fairies manipulating a scarecrow, and this was like a way to basically manipulate a creature that you shouldn't have been able to by picking up out of the graveyard. The, great card. I love the art. I just I love when the art like really shows off the function of the card. I think that is so cool. There's a card called Bedevil, which is really good for that same reason. I think the art just rocks for what that card does. Gosh, you know what? There, there are like too many, honestly. I feel like I'm betraying certain cards by saying like, this was my favorite or this was my favorite. I too love Lightning Bolt. Thinking back to my my burn days, I think Fire Blast is so good. So good. Anything that's just like flat, there's three damage or whatever. Well, Fire Blast, what is that? Count as a blue spell? No, Fire oh, Blast five, is, it has an alternate casting cost where you can sack two mountains instead yeah. and then do four damage to a target creature or player, which would be like, you would burn the shit out of them and then they'd be like, oh, you're done. You're all tapped out. And you'd be like, nah, sack two mountains and four damage to the to the dome no, <laughs> you know why and they, did you do and they would they, lose they take their cards and leave but yeah no man that's that's great i love those cards so much and i yeah. totally understand why they're uh, among your favorites but i think it's pitch time i think it's pitch time you want to go first you want me to go first i have a really long developed pitch does that mean you would rather have me go first or second go first 
Okay, great. So today I'm going to be pitching a full magic set, which just to not bore the listener, I'm not going to do like too many individual cards. Basically, I'm going to give you the lore and the feel of the world, the world and what keywords I'm bringing back and which tribes are factoring in. Very and cool. uh, and then Mike can can ask me some questions and I can pretend like I had it figured out already as I answer him. That's right. All right. So how about this? Ooh, a tap two uh, and counter. Oh well, that's it. I can't can't pitch now. You've that's it. You're, it's your turn. All right. I uh, draw up tap. All right. Um, I'm trying draw go. So you can go. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Great. So my magic set is called Countdown, and Countdown is the first of a three set arc in the tradition of the original when they used to do you know three sets per block. So Countdown. All is not well in the world of Merivane. A magical storm is brewing. The size of a continent, the swirling mass of chaotic energy destroys anything it touches, leaving a mutated wasteland in its wake. The arcane masters have done all they can to stop it, but they have failed. Now all they can do is urge every living creature on the continent to prepare for the coming catastrophe. The dwarves have retreated into their halls of stone, hoping the storm will pass over their mighty fortresses as so many other threats have done before. Their provisions are ample. Their craft is strong. And even if this storm lasts a thousand years, as some say it may, they are confident, mm, perhaps too confident, that they can laugh this siege to scorn. Do you like my narration so far, Mike? I do. I actually muted myself, so I didn't have any stray noises. So it's beautiful. We like a stray noise. Okay, great. Okay, sorry. I'm just, it's just okay. beautiful. I'm loving it. I wanted to give you the floor, man. I'm, all right, I'm, all right. I'm, I'm taking in. the floor. Okay. The gnomes have taken a very different approach. Relying on contraptions and artifice, the gnomes are working closely with the arcane masters to design a series of great arcs, flying ships that may be able to rise above the storm itself. They intend to take to the air and fight the good fight, for their scouts have seen what others have not. There are things within the storm, Uh unnatural things, things that want to take you within the walls of the Great Gale and change you forever. So, oh, no airships, dwarves, this is good. Though varied and diverse, there is no society more concerned with the storm's approach than the humans. Their sprawling communities have shrunk down into just their major cities, hoping to ride out the storm together as collective communities. But it should come as no surprise that humans cannot join forces for long. Already there is dissent within their ranks, and even as King Leriden rallies his people in the capital city, there are others who seek to remove him from power, using the crisis as an excuse to topple the throne. The arcane masters have no time for these petty political squabbles. They are still frantically searching for a magical solution to the problem, though many believe that all hope is lost. The dragons, what few there are, (laughs) are generally too proud to be concerned with such things as a passing magical storm, but seeing the lower races panic at a little bad weather is very amusing to them. Their business is largely unchanged during this time of upheaval. Protect their hordes, eat what they want, and otherwise live as they may. Only one dragon, Cinderwatch, the Doom of Calamount, has surveyed the storm personally. His army of goblin underlings have been digging underground, deep into the ruins of a great forgotten undercity where they plan to wait out the end of the world. The goblins, once leaderless and reckless, have fallen in line with Cinderwatch, putting their talents for making giant holes in things to good use. (laughs) 
as they dig far beneath the earth, inhabiting an area once thought sacred to the elementals, the great spirits of the earth who are thought to have created all of Maravane. Perhaps least prepared to wait out the storm on the surface, the goblins will need to steal provisions from anyone and everyone if they're going to make it, not to mention what it will take to feed Cinderwatch on a regular basis. The elves have seen this coming for quite a while. Of course. <laughs> and while they see the other societies taking shelter in their you know, hovels of stone, they have something more powerful. Faith. The faith that the forest will protect them. No, no that's screwed. The faith <laughs> that their ancient traditions will overcome what awaits them inside the swirling mass of clouds and colored lightning. The elven queen, Tyrina, has ruled for a thousand years, and she intends to rule a thousand more right from where she sits. The animals of the forest are quite keen in Maravane. Many live in sophisticated villages and towns not dissimilar to humans. Friendly and affable, the animals of Maravane tend to get along with everyone, and some have traveled to the great human cities to live under their protection. Others believe in the might of the forest queen, Tyrina, and know that she favors them. And what of the dark things in Maravane? Spirits, zombies, vampires, the horrors that go bump in the night? What is their opinion of the storm? Mm. Though they do tremble, they thrill in the possibility of its approach. While the mortals scramble to hide from the storm, the undead embrace its coming. Once the storm has passed, they intend to drink the fear of the survivors. They will rend the flesh of whatever remains. Perhaps at last, when the world has been plunged into the bleak, dark ugliness that they have sought all of their miserable existence, they will rule. These dark beings seek to undo the preparations of the mortal world, spoil their supplies, smash their contraptions, and rob them of their hope. Meanwhile, Inside the storm, the lightning strikes, the thunder rumbles, the seas roil beneath the clouds as the mass shifts on the horizon. The shapes within are great and strange, wings, tentacles, fire, teeth. The reckoning has come to Merivane, and time is almost up. Oh, baby. Thank you. Oh, baby. That, that makes me feel a certain way. I just want to let you know right now. All right. So that, that, is, lovely, that is lovely. Lovely. So that's the world lore. That's what you read on a little booklet. When yeah. You, when you get the pre-con. <laughs> yeah. You get the pre you get the deck and then you like half the people are like, I'm going to read this. And half the other people are like, man, we never do turn the cards. Yeah. So this was uh, the lore oh. inspired because I wanted a set that was, there was going to be a big existential threat that I did not want to come from any one tribe. It was more like, okay, how are all five colors and the sub races of those colors going to respond from a, tr a threat that's coming from outside of them? Yeah. The design of this set would be uh, more traditional in that I'm not combining a lot of colors. Which is, which is good. Yeah, I like I'm letting blue is blue, black is black, et cetera. So it's, it's a lot of like uh, monocolored cards. The multicolored cards are for the creatures that come out of the storm. Yeah. So it's the stuff that's basically in the royal over there. Which is essentially maybe the storm itself. Yes, yeah, exactly. Combining the mana, right? Right. Yep. That, Mike, you got it exactly. So Magic has done this kind of thing before. I think the early forerunner of this was, was literally Tempest. Though Tempest wasn't about a storm, even though it was called Tempest. <laughs> that was just about, you know, living on the plane of wrath and, you know, hoping that Valrath wouldn't kill you. You know, and, and they've done magical storms in the past too. But this one was like, the story is literally about preparing for the storm. And because we're preparing for the storm, I wanted to bring back some keywords that were about communities like coming together and working together 
and basically trying to ride it out. So I am bringing back keywords like bolster and convoke, which allow your creatures to help you cast spells. I'm bringing crew in for vehicles because both the gnomes and the goblins are building contraptions uh, and vehicles and things, which they're going to have to, you know, crew. Um, My big thing that I'm including that I think I'm proudest of is... um, so I'm a I'm not a huge fan of the unsets, but I loved Unstable. I think yeah. Unstable rocked. And I think the best thing in Unstable that could work in the regular game was contraptions. Yeah. And uh, the assembly of contraptions. So if anyone remembers Unstable, Mike, I know, of course, you do. There were like something like 45 or 50 contraptions in that set. And basically, contraptions are artifacts that start off in their own deck. Yeah. So when you bring a contraption deck, it's separate from your deck, uh, which I just thought was a neat feature. And then you have a slot of three. Oh, sorry. You have like a, a, a you have these three sprockets and then these artifacts start off in sprocket slots. And then uh, when you control a contraption, you can move this uh, crank counter during your upkeeps. And every time you crank a contraption, the contraption activates. And I thought this was such a neat thing to bring in if you were going to bring in gnomes in a big, meaningful way. Yeah, because there aren't a lot of gnomes yet. We're finally starting to see them now with Forgotten Realms. You're exactly right. Forgotten Realms is finally bringing gnomes into the game, and I'm capitalizing on that by saying, okay, you're going to bring in gnomes. Do them for real. Give them the contraptions from Unstable. Yeah. Um, Because that that to me is the essence of gnomedom is tinkering. Yeah, right? that's they, what they, they do. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see that. But also, uh, conversely, I would love to see goblin contraptions that, you know, are going to be a disaster. So we saw a lot of those in Unstable. I think the main game could have fun with a lot of those. So that's the other big thing I'm bringing in. Also, other keywords that I like. And Mike, you already know this, but oh, I would also use like exert. I think yeah. exert is another mm-hmm. good one for creatures. Mm-hmm. So pertinent to the story, because you try to find abilities that match the lore, right? This is about, you know, people trying to hide from this storm. So I'm bringing in Shroud. Uh, yeah. in a big way shroud yeah, yeah. especially for the green creatures because remember they're just trying to hide in the forest mm-hmm. i would like to use uh haste because i think we're trying to work very quickly and i think hastily and i think goblins fuck up a lot when they're trying to work too fast we are going to bring in cycling the reason why we're bringing in cycling is actually because of my arcane masters and i'm just kind of imagining them trying anything to get yeah. a spell to stop this thing but cycling also serves another function. And there, there are two things in magic that I dislike. And this is about the game in total, not any one set. The first problem you already know, Mike, is about lands. But we'll talk about that in a second. Cycling fixes the second problem for me. What cycling fixes is that I don't like that you don't get to see that many cards. Yeah. So I wanted to bring in cycling cards that on the whole were... I would like cycling printed on more cards. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see some cycling costs that aren't always too generic mana. Yeah. I would love to see some pike cycling costs that are color intensive, like red or double red. And then you get an ability, which they've done a little bit in the past with like basic land cycling or like artifact land cycling, things like that. And I also am going to use flashback just because I think the graveyard in magic is so interesting that you want it to always be relevant. I, I agree. And I think flashback is just really cool. So it's mostly there because cool. Let's talk about land. The big flaw in Magic the Gathering is land. It's that in this supremely interesting deck, whether you have, you know, approximately 37 to 40 lands in Commander or 17, God help you, to 21 or even more lands in uh, Constructed or 22 lands, 24 lands, whatever. That's like a third of your deck or more. More, And lands are not that interesting all on their own. They just kind of sit there. And unless you're playing some really interesting non-basic lands, you're stuck with a deck full of basic lands, which are a lot of times the the worst thing that can happen to you is you get just totally monoscrewed and then you feel like a bad player or a bad deck builder. But 
it's totally random. It's just you shuffled your deck and the lands went to the bottom. How many good players has that happened to? A hundred percent of players is well, the answer. Every, everyone. And that's everyone. the only reason why probably in Magic, you all your games are all your matches are best two out of three because you can just get mana screwed. But you can get mana screwed on all of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's all the time. So here are my two things to make lands more interesting. All right, the first thing is a new keyword that I am calling terrain. I like it. So when a card has terrain... It just creates a terrain marker that now exists on the board, and there can only ever be one terrain marker on the board. So every time you see terrain on a card, the marker comes into play, and you know this inherently. The reminder text will be on the card. It will be terrain. Place a terrain marker on any land in play, and then it would be understood that if there's already a terrain marker in play, you move it. And terrain markers are placed on lands. What is the overall global significance of this? That's where the duel's taking place. That's where the creatures are. Yeah. Okay, so if you move a terrain marker to an island, we're having this fight on that island, that one island that the terrain marker is on. If you move your terrain marker to Tolarion Academy, the fight is at Tolarion Academy. If you move your terrain marker to Gaia's Cradle or wherever, uh, you know, Wastelands, every any land you could think of, that's where we're having the battle. Now suddenly the lands mean something. Because what happens if something happens to that land? Something happens to the battle. So let me introduce two things. First is creature abilities. Think of like the ranger's favored terrain in Dungeons and Dragons, right? So like if a creature has island terrain, like this creature cannot be blocked by creatures without flying, for example. Island terrain would be an ability where if the terrain marker is on an island, that ability is active for them. Okay, plains terrain, this creature gains first strike. Mountain terrain, this creature gains haste. Or forest terrain, this creature gains, I don't know, trample or plus two, plus two. It just means we now have to pay attention to where the terrain marker is located and where this fight is happening. And suddenly you kind of have this swirling image of two planeswalkers dueling or two players dueling. And the fight is moving from location to location as they not only call on the lands for mana, but for the location where the battle's happening. I like it. You know, so I we're kind of like getting this a lot. shifting vortex of places in front of us. A couple of examples of how a spell might work for that. I created this spell. Treetop Expedition, uh, Treetop Expedition is a sorcery for one green mana. Place it, So it's got terrain. So place a terrain marker on any land in play. And then place a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control with forest terrain. Okay? Because we're moving this fight to a forest and this creature is ready to go. How about this one? Planned Accident. Planned accident. It's four and two red. Mike's going to love this card. Place three countdown counters on target land. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a countdown counter. When there are no countdown counters left on target land, destroy it. If it has a terrain marker on it, destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. What did you just do with planned, ex- uh, uh, planned accident? You, you blew up the land where the battle was taking place. If the terrain like marker was there, that's, that meant that's where we were fighting. Uh-oh. And now that land is gone, so boom, the creatures are gone. And you plan that detonation ahead of time. Maybe you can move that countdown counter around somehow. Because it's a planned accident. Right, planned accident, exactly. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap, except six <laughs> mana is fucking expensive as hell, especially for red. So maybe that would need some tweaking, but we get the idea. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, the other thing that I want to bring in for land, and I didn't have a great keyword for this because it was kind of like the last idea I came up with before recording was... I wanted a series of modular creatures or other permanents, enchantments or artifacts would also be fine, that you could simply just play them as a land, right? So you've got a handful of creatures and you're like, I like this hand. And maybe you have like your standard 2-2 green bear, right? 
one generic, one green, two, two bear. He's wearing a waistcoat because I like when animals do that. And in my lore, they have these little villages. He's really cute. And you're like, oh, standard two, two bear. I'll tell you what, let's change the bear casting cost from one generic, one green. Let's make it double green just to give it a little edge. And on his text, it says, you may play this card as a forest, right? I don't know what keyword that could have, uh, whether that's like terraform or something like that. Though Terraform would not fit with the lore of this particular set, that's still a good idea. And instead of being like, oh, instead of the useless 2-2 bear I have that would only be very good in a certain situation, I'm just going to play this as a land card, right? I love I it. I think that's way better. And now you have a whole new ability for creatures that would otherwise, otherwise be kind of generic. And you don't have to go into the game fearing that you're going to be thought of being a bad player or an unskilled deck builder because you didn't draw forest. You have this bear as a backup. Yeah, and that's always good. Backup bear. Backup bear, which kind of reminds me of the best aspects of versus system, where it's yeah. just like, well, any card in your hand could be a resource because we don't want to waste deck slots on land. Versus exactly. figured that out. Yeah, they did, and you could, you know, the more and more you played it, there were cards that you could play out of the, out of your resource row. So I, I really like that idea. Lands definitely are sometimes feel completely useless. It's like one yeah. of those things where it's just like you either have too many or not enough. It's never that happy medium where like oh, I got perfect amount of land. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And then three more things. Then I'm done presenting the set, and then we can chat. love it, love it. So two things. One, Mike, you know I like seeing a lot of cards. That's I don't right. like when I only get to see the top twenty cards off my deck. I want to see more of the deck. So two things that many many more creatures are going to have because Mike, we are we are scavenging and we are drawing resources into our fortresses and we're trying to weather this storm right so there's going to be a lot more uh these are two unofficial magic keywords we're going to keep them unofficial because they're a little complicated looting and rummaging yeah looting and rummaging needs to appear on more creatures so for the unacquainted or those listening at home looting traditionally has been a, a, a blue ability i believe it comes from a card called merfolk looter looting is basically a blue ability that says draw a card and then discard a card it's okay, good. pretty standard and fair and, and cost effective. And you get to see more cards. That's the whole point. Rummaging is the opposite. It's typically been a red ability. I believe it comes from Goblin Rummager, I think was the first one to really have it with that name. Rummaging just is the opposite. It's discard a card and then draw a card. And what is the function of this? Ultimately in Magic, you want to draw more, more cards. That's card advantage. You want That's to be able to plan. You want to do. Yeah, you want to be able to plan your turns effectively. So I said how can I get more than 20 cards deep into a deck really effectively in a way that matters? And I said, we don't need more card draw because that's costly. Card draw is very costly in Magic. It costs a lot of mana to do that. But looting and rummaging is fun and manageable, and it's a very active skill. Drawing cards to me is almost passive because like it happens every turn. You have to exert an enormous amount of mana to do it, and then all you're getting is a card. Looting and rummaging is like, I have to make a decision about these things that are in my hand. And that that's exciting to me. And the last thing I, I want to present that. is which planeswalkers we will have in this set. So my new planeswalker, I thought, perhaps because we have a storm on the horizon, I'm bringing in uh, Captain Lannery Storm, who was a pirate. I think that we got an Ixalan first. Yes. And uh, she's coming in as a planeswalker in this set as someone who's, you know what, her ship basically just sailed off the edge of the world and she has arrived ahead of the storm and she has seen some of the things inside of it. And Love I thought that. she would be exciting for the story. I want to bring in Garrick because Garrick to me is is just like a, he's a core planeswalker who should be included as much as possible. And I thought he would come in and he would try to like help out the animals. He's going to be a good guy in this set. That's good. And yeah, he's going to try to like fend for the animals because I don't think he has a very good relationship with the forest queen in this set. I think Probably he thinks not. the queen of the elves is an idiot 
and he's like, you're going to do literally nothing to uh, to to withstand the storm. OK, I'm, I'm going to save these animals. Sounds sounds like uh, sounds like the elves, by the way. <laughs> right. Exactly. I would like Duretti. Scrap Samant. Duretti is going to be our red sort of goblin planeswalker who's coming in and he's helping the, the goblins dig just deep into the earth on hey, behalf of Cinderwatch. He's working a, together. Um, and then, of course, what set would be complete if we did not put Liliana Vess into a new costume? I don't know. It seems like that's all they do and they change your name. That's right. So Liliana, yeah, Liliana's going to work with our baddies in this set because Liliana is an opportunist. And it's not that she likes hanging out with the zombies, though I'm sure she does. It's more that she sees something in the storm that nobody else sees, which is that she doesn't see it as a bad thing. She sees the storm itself is like a storm of raw magical energy and it has potential. And she would like to try to use the storm to her own ends. So that's what's going on there. And Mike, that is Countdown. I love it. I think it's so cool. I think it's very well thought out. I think the mentality of a, a chaos event or a cataclysm coming your way is something very, very interesting. And, and, you know, stuff like that has happened in Magic before. But I love the aspect of, like, all the, fa- all the things that you like about fantasy and Magic are, like, really coming through here. Um, whether it's, you know, it's all these different interesting tribes working together uh, you have these wonderful animal folks. You have jerk elves because once again, elves, the elves, elves, elves got to be elves. Elves got to be jerks. Um, and then just the right planeswalkers. Like everything about this is really interesting and really cool. And I, I just love it. I love the keywords that you're bringing in. I love the the ability. It's like, hey, we're going to have all these devices so we can try to save the place. So it's really great stuff, man. That's awesome. I love it. I Thanks, will buy man. Countdown and Hell draft yeah. it and draft it. I just thought yeah. it was really nice. Thanks. And if it was if it was going to be like a blocked arc, it would be countdown and then I don't know, cataclysm. I think they've already used that for a set, but like the middle event would actually be the storm itself. And then yeah. the, the third set would be aftermath. Aftermath, yeah. It's, you know? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when when they did Shards of Alara, the shards were all split. It, and exactly. They came together and then there was the new Alara after that, but it's it, Right. It, this it, has it, the same narrative idea as Shards of Alara for sure. But this is a cataclysm, not a not, this is like the opposite, right? Because you're destroying everything. You're not yeah, necessarily... The, the storm is not a good thing, no. for sure. Yeah. I think, I think the conflux in Alara was actually like a cool thing because it brought the whole plane together. It did. And and uh, Alara for, was like the, the OG at having like, oh, we've separated all the colors and now they're all combined and things are crazy. So this definitely has some of that flavoring. Which is great. I love that. And it's just a very interesting set. I, I like the idea of like a, a horrible storm coming. And all of the these characters are awesome. So yeah, really nice stuff. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to see this seeing this as a Dungeons and Dragons campaign in the future. <laughs> it could. It could easily uh, transform into one. Um, I'm gonna throw it over to you, man. Are you ready to pitch? I am ready to pitch. Oh my god, let's do it. So I draw a card, and how about this? Um, I am going to play Pact of Negation from my hand. Um but then on the next turn, I forgot to have five mana open, so I lose the game. Oh, well, very nice. So you've lost the game. Yep. All right, so go ahead Wonderful. and pitch. Nice, nice job. Well, yep. uh, GG. So <laughs> I d- decided to get away from... Oh, you have to say the thing. I stopped you from saying the thing. Did you oh, say the thing? Sorry. How about this? We'll rewind. Oh, I oh. cast rewind for four blue, Okay. and then I untap four lands. Okay. So, you might have actually said it. I don't know. Chaotic. I did. Okay. But how, how about this? How about this? Here we go. I wanted to get away from making cards and stuff like that and uh and making another set because i don't think i'd be able to put the amount of work and effort in it to come up with something as as original and interesting as what you did so i feel like you it's sell time. yourself short and eh, no i don't you make uh, a great set 
I, yeah, it would all be fire. Just yes. every, even yes. the green, green fire. Oh my god, you you do the fire. all all red set. All red. Everything's fire. Red set I, wins. I've got yeah, red set. Oh my gosh, red set wins. <laughs> it's like I I use an island. One of my my blue cards would be like I don't know like aqua jet, and it yeah. would just, it would just be three damage, but it would be one blue mana. I love it. Actually, it, you would actually balance the game because there was an all black set. Oh yeah, there was. Yeah yeah. yeah. I wanted to get away from making cards or, or, or a set. And my idea here was that it's time for magic to go a little bit more multimedia. We obviously we have magic books. We have magic video games, kind of, kind of. There's the, there's mostly it's just playing the card game in a different setting. There's some magic comic books here and there, but I really think that it's time for Magic the Gathering to have some sort of long form anthologized television show. Ooh. And my idea for it is I'm calling it Magic the Gathering, the, the Planeswalkers. Mm. So it's a story, a show, an anth- anthology show that's about the planes and the planeswalkers because ultimately that's who Magic has kind of designed as their characters at this point. Each, each plane has its legendary people, but pretty much the way the Magic stories work these days is how the planeswalkers kind of interact with each plane and uh, between each other. And it's become a very, very important part of the show. Yeah. I'm not sure of the of the, the game. Of the yeah, game. Right, yeah. So as as the show, that's going to be a very important part of the show to see these planeswalkers as they interact among each other and uh, with the planes that they're visiting. And obviously you create new planeswalkers as you go along. It's not just the starting five. It's whatever. But I don't know if this would be animated. I don't know if this would be live action. It's probably much more, much less expensive to go animated because you could do a lot more with animation. You don't have to worry about as much uh, digital effects and things like that. But I want this show to be kind of like in a connected anthology. And I want it to be every season. I want it to take every season. I want it to take place on a different plane. Oh, great. So I don't want I don't want it to be like, hey, you got all these planes and you're in, in, in on this episode, you're you're in Eldraid and in this episode, you're in Lorwyn and in this episode, you're in Innistrad and this episode, you're in Zendikar. I want each anth- anthology season to take place solely within that plane, kind of like the sets and how they work. It's like, cool. This is the Innistrad season. Everything's going to happen in Innistrad. This is the Ravnica season. Everything's going to happen in Ravnica. And we can right. revisit, the, revisit those planes like you would in the sets that Magic has created over the years. But ultimately, in the end, you have it so that everything in one season takes place in one plane. And then you move. And then maybe once you get a few seasons in, then maybe you get little bits and pieces here or there of other places. But really want to keep it as isolated as possible. And because it's an anthology, you need someone who's telling you the stories. Yes. You need someone who's been telling you. And I think my narrator in this instance is going to be a very, very old Urza who has seen literally everything, right? He's the first planeswalker. This guy has been everywhere and back. He's seen literally everything. So it's kind of like him opening up the storybook for each of these planes and telling you the stories of each of these planeswalkers that we've gone to meet over the years. And obviously you will see the legendary characters there as well. You will see the legendary beasts and you'll see all this stuff and the dragons and the elves and everything. So I think the first season, I think you do kind of the original kind of let's do an original arc. And for the first season, you start it in Dominaria, which seems like it's like the main of the magic planes. And I think you start it with the five original planeswalkers, right? Obviously, you have Urza doing his stuff as well because he's Urza. But, you know, bringing Garrick and Liliana and Chandra and Ajani and Jace. These are the original 
Planeswalkers, if you're new to magic, if you're new to the show, you can understand how the different manas work together, how they work against each other. And by having mono-colored Planeswalkers as your main characters for the beginning, you really get to understand like what each color is about and what each mana source represents. So you really get to follow these characters. And I think it gives you that introduction. And eventually, you know, you, you branch out from there uh, after season one. But I think the beauty of something like this, it would show the wonderful worlds of like Magic's Planescape. Yeah. And it just intros new characters little by little every season. And I would really kind of ha- like it to be kind of like a, have more of like an old lore approach to the series where it's something like you're telling these stories like after they've happened to a degree and how they've interacted over time. And time is a very strange thing when it comes to the planes. And I also kind of want it to be, I want there to be like individual like little arcs that happen uh, within each anthology season. So it could be like, hey, we're following, we're going to follow Garrick for three episodes and we're going to see like what Garrick's doing in this part of the plane. And then we're going to see what Chandra is doing in this part of the plane. Do they, do they interact with each other? Do they come across each other? All that stuff. So you want to kind of see these like little mini arcs that happen within your season. And I think ultimately because magic is out there to make money, right? I think the goal of this too is you release sets that kind of coincide with the planes that the planeswalkers are going to because you're making it a multimedia platform. So you, oh, yeah. you can, it's like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon. It's like, oh, well, and this week we're going to show off the Tarmogoyf is going to be like the big thing in the episode that Garrick has to either control or fight. And obviously coming out that month in the set would be the Tarmogoyf. The Tarmogoyf. The yeah. Tarmogoyf. So it's just like people are like, oh, I got to kind of get that set. Or it would be even better if the if the show showed you some stuff like just before the sets came out. So then you can get really excited for it. Kind of like how they do spoilers now and how we get yeah. really jazzed about a set. And, you know, it just gives you an introduction to how things work. And this long running story, you know, can follow what has happened in the game already. The stories that followed and what will follow in the future. And And I just want this big kind of massive story that kind of takes time to tell. But, you know, sometimes you don't might not like a plane. So you're like, yeah, I might not watch this season as intently, but I'm going to be really invested in this one. And then they'll they'll learn like what people really like. And hopefully we don't spend 30 seasons straight in Ravnica because that's what magic kind of has done uh, for like the longest time. The Ravnica show. Yeah, we need to go back to Ravnica for the third time because we've done it twice. and We're going to have to go back to back, go back to go back (laughs) to Ravnica. And uh, I just really want that interconnected thing. But one of my most, one of my favorite aspects of this is that I also want uh, Magic the Gathering to the game itself to be affected uh, by the stuff that happens or the show to be affected by stuff that happens in the card game. And I want to bring something that Jordan and I have been fans of for years in other card games, but I want there to be storyline tournaments. Yeah. And I want there to be. I want events of the tournaments to impact what happens on the show. Oh, I would love that. So, you know, if, and I want there to almost be a certain variant for magic that you build a deck. That's almost like a storyline tournament deck Mm -hmm. that you have to have certain different cards in there and certain aspects that really give it more of like a, you're playing through a story. So in the event of, I don't know if Garrett kills Liliana in one of the story tournaments, if that could really happen, I don't really know if that could happen because Garrick <laughs> isn't a creature, but if Garrick kills Liliana in a story storyline tournament, it's like the writers get the, get the news. It's like, Hey man, in the championship match, Garrett killed Liliana. And then it's just like, 
I guess we got to do that in the show now. I guess that changes the way magic is gone. Right. So I would love that too, to have that kind of storyline element. I just, in general, I think the story in magic is so good a lot of the time, but so few people interact with it. Yeah. Because it's all about playing in the card game. You get the little flavor text and you get the little booklets that give you the news of the story, what's going on, like the, the really nice thing that you read at the beginning of your pitch. But very few people interact with the story. So ultimately, in the end, I just want people to be able to interact more with the worlds and with the planescape of Magic the Gathering and these worlds that have been created by, by wizards so beautifully. And I just want people to feel like, you know, they have, uh, first of all, they have impact on what the story is. And ultimately, in the end, like people are more interested in this beautiful story that they've crafted that really doesn't get shown enough in the cards. Mm-hmm. So that's my pitch. That's the Planeswalkers. Just oh, really I, simple. But yeah, I love it. I would love a Magic the Gathering show. Uh, I think that would be great. And we live in the era of like, you know, the great Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon, like the content wars, throwing, yeah, throwing money out there at everything. I think this would be awesome. I love the anthologized nature of the show because it would never get stale because it would yeah. be like, I didn't like that first season. Oh, but they're doing a horror season now. They're going to Innistrad and just it would just be cool to see like that same pack of like five or six planeswalkers or whatever, like rebrand themselves into the new plane yeah, and like see who fits in and like yeah. how their narrative arcs change from season to season. Cause they're like, that they're too. almost like they're almost like Highlanders. They're almost like, you know, or like a doctor who kind of thing where they're just like, Oh, it's, it's the same folks, but they're evolving. It's different. It's, it's new. It's a little you different know. this time through, because right. you have to change the plane itself changes you. Right. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's great. It's like kind of like a jumpers type situation where like you're coming in just like you're different, you know? Yeah. A, a little bit, a little bit. And it changes who you are as you get into the plane. But yeah, man, that's my pitch. I hope, I'm glad you enjoy it. I love it. I would be very excited for, in, in my mind, even though he wasn't one of the original five, I feel like the main planeswalker character. So you, you acknowledged Urza, of course, is the, the original and he's your storyteller, like your crypt, keep, crypt, crypt keeper, which is great. I would, uh, Teferi, I think, oh, would, would yeah. be, probably end up being sort of the main character. Uh, I, I think I think you're right. I think Teferi is so good to follow. And I think if you're doing a Dominaria season yeah. at the beginning, you need Teferi. I feel like he maybe, like figures out how to become a planeswalker. That's during that, 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 yeah. that was that's my mentality. That's what I was going to say. I think what you do is at the end of season one, which is in Dominaria, I think Teferi gets his plane planeswalker spark. Yeah, because the whole thing with Dominaria is Te- Teferi is kind of trying to save the plane from getting destroyed. Ultimately, that's like what happens with him in the in the in the story of magic. So it'd be really nice to see his his ascent into planeswalker. And then obviously he becomes, you know, I think you have Jace go rogue eventually and just kind of like leave. That's what he does. I think Teferi just shows up and he becomes like the blue planeswalker because like you're right, he's one of the most important characters in magic. And having Teferi as like your lead is is never a bad idea. Yeah. It's almost a shame that he has to be like young to start because I, I just really want Idris Elba to yeah, play I know, Teferi. Yeah, I know. Idris Elba would be um, so good. Idris Elba. He could do anything. Yeah, he could do anything. He, he can. He's, say, he can. he's, he's canceled he cured, the apocalypse. He, he cured cancer. Yeah, he did. He did twice. Uh, he, you know, he, he defended Molly Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> he's done so much for us. So much. So much. He's amazing. Um, but no, that, that's it, man. That's, that's it. I love these pitches. This is so cool. I'm so glad that we got to talk about magic. Yeah. I love that. I have a, who would you cast as Liliana Vest? Do you have someone? I don't know. I feel like I, I have a pretty good one. I think I could throw out there. You, you, I think you'd be on board. Go who? So it's not Anya Taylor joy. No, I know that's young. who you're expecting. She's too, she's too young. Um, I would actually try to cast Margot Robbie <laughs> as Liliana Vest. That's actually just, great. Imagine her with dark hair with like sort of the, that cheekbone, like, yeah. you know, look to her. I, just I like, get it. I don't know, man. 
I think I, get I think, it. I think there's some overlap between Harley Quinn and Liliana Vest. I think, Bass. I think, I think I she think could you, do it. I think she could do it. I think it's a great casting, dude. I think that's great. Yeah, that's I, I love it. I didn't really think about casting. I should have, uh, but I did not. So um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yes, my one regret is that The Rock I don't think is appropriate for Garrick, but <laughs> he'd be awesome. Actually, no, yeah, screw it. He could Fuck be it. Garrick. Yeah, The Rock is Garrick. <laughs> the Rock is Garrick. I love it. Garrick and his minions. Of course, all of them. And the like, Rock and his minions. The Rock and his millions. And millions. And so that's all I got. Jordan, your pitch was unbelievably good. Yours was awesome, man. I would love to see this show. Uh, let's 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 just do it. We'll sell it. You know what? I'll call up Wizards on the phone and be like, hey guys, I got some ideas. Let's um, quit our jobs now. Sounds like a good plan to me. So everyone out there, thank you for continuing to listen to the Summer of Slam. Summer of Slam. <laughs> And, and we hope that not only has this has has excited you, but if you are not a magic player, we hope that this episode has excited you enough to spend millions of dollars on magic cards, because that's pretty much how much they cost now on the Internet. That's right. As uh, Jordan and I have uh, spent many of our life savings trying to buy little cardboard cards to turn sideways. <laughs> but as always, to the champion of Ravnica, the king of Innistrad. <laughs> And oh, you have another one. Go and, for it. Oh, and he might as well be Orberon, the king of the Lorwyn based fairy magic. Wow. His name is Mr. Jordan Hugh. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. And thank you to Mike, the um, Emperor Goblin Electromancer, brother to Squee. That, I got nothing else. That's it's good. It. It's good. I do go. all right in the weather light, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we both do okay. <laughs> I'd be in my room, I'd be very sick. It's the sky is the sea. I'm so confused. <laughs> what uh, are they doing? Why are they flying? This is great. This is a great episode. Thanks again. And for all of you out there, catch you real, real soon as the Summer of Slam continues. And there you have it. How about this, listeners? We turn cards sideways. We tap lands for mana. And most importantly, we talked about Magic the Gathering on today's episode. Boy, did we have a blast talking about this one. We hope you enjoyed it too. And for those of you who might want to play some Magic the Gathering, please reach out to us. We're always looking to find more people to battle. Well, Planeswalkers, in the meantime, please give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howaboutthispod. You can also find us on instagram.com or, well... Actually, it's just Instagram. Sorry, it's been a very long week. So it's just Instagram. You can find us at How About This Pod. And you can always like, subscribe, leave a review on the podcatcher of your choosing because every time you do something like that, well, it makes this show that much more visible. So once again, from Jordan Hugh and Mike Staub, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Summer of Slam. <laughs>